0: Good morning, this is me, Dieter Randolph for Water and Stone, and uh, it's uh, it's just you and me today. Now, I say that, but you know what's gonna happen. We pre-record these, and so while you're watching this video, if you're watching it live on Sunday morning at 11 a.m., I and Jenny and the whole Water and Stone family will be there in the comments. If you've got some questions and comments, we can respond to those. It's as close to interactive as we know how to make this, and I have to say that In the past few weeks, we've really seen a lot of really interesting dialogue, really interesting questions and comments and homework assignments and everything. So I'm really, really gratified by that. Speaking of questions and comments, as you may know, this is the fifth Sunday. And the fifth Sunday, we try to do things a little bit differently around here. This is our Ask the Pastor Sunday. So people send in questions and they have comments for us and that kind of a thing. And some of the things we've addressed in the course of our dialogue about meaning fulfilled, remember that that's what we've been talking about this month. But some of the things didn't fit into that conversation. And so we saved them for right now. And so what we're gonna do is just like always, I haven't had any time to prepare an answer. This is gonna be really me from the heart, off the cuff, however you wanna look at it, answering the questions that have come in because we love to know what you want to know. So with that in mind, let's get started with our opening prayer. God is and I am. I stand on holy ground. Right here and right now, there is truth. Right here and right now, there is freedom. Right here and right now, there is life. This is who I am. I am ready. From now on, I speak the truth. From now on, I choose freedom. From now on, this is my life. The unstoppable love of God prepares the way. I am ready. And so it is and so it does. amen and so our first question that came in came in as a response to one of the things that uh jenny says all the time she says grace and space and i love that it rhymes it seems like it should be on a wall plaque right next to bless this home and something about a farmhouse It, it really fits really well i love that idea but some folks have asked and the question has come in in a different a number of different formats well what does that really mean and more to the point what does grace and space look like in real life? And I think this is a really great question because I got to say, I've really been trying to apply the, the concept, the principle of grace and space in my life. And to the degree that I do, it works really well. And I've heard other people say that too. So let's get into it. Grace and space. The basic idea is, first of all, grace. The other, In other words, I see that God's working in your life. I leave room for something bigger. But I understand that How I interact with God, how I interact with love with a capital L, with the bigger whatever it is in life, how I interact with that bigger something, that's intimate and personal. That's between me and God. And I think sometimes we make a real mistake when we assume, first of all, that you don't have that relationship with God because I'm better than you or because I've read the books that you haven't read or I've been to church that you haven't been to or something like that. Let's be real careful about religious elitism, right? If God really is everywhere, then let's not be the kind of people that say, you're screwing up and I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to fix you and I'm going to, you know, I know a guy (laughs) and I'm going to get this fixed for you. Grace means I understand that God's grace works in my life, but God's grace also works in your life and how God's grace works for you is going to be very different because you're very different. Yes, of course, we're all made out of the same thing. Yes, of course, we're all children of God. And that's amazing to think about. But it's also amazing to think about the fact that each and every person is here to work on something different. Each and every person is here to perform some work best known to them and God. It's private. So grace has to do with the idea that, you know what, I'm here for a reason and God is gonna take care of me and prosper my ways and make the way clear, just like we say in our opening prayer, God's gonna do that for me to the degree that I get my stuff out of the way. But the natural extension of that is, I'm gonna get out of your way too. I don't know what's best for you, no matter how much I love you. Remember that love also means letting go. So grace and space means that I see God working in your life And I'm going to give you room to work out your own salvation, as Paul says, to work out your own growth, to work on this. And it's going to be okay with me if you don't do it my way, because it's not my way. It's the high way, if you'll pardon the pun. That's what's really going on. And that's what grace and space looks like in broad terms. But if you want to really zero in on it. There's a little bit more going on there because part of it has to do with understanding that some people are going to have to be given room to work things out the hard way. Sometimes there are people, and maybe you've been one of these people. I know I have where their inner script their story the badge that they wear has to do with i am someone who is really immersed in hardship i I can't enjoy anything unless i've beaten myself up to get there i gotta earn everything we talked about that before i can't do anything without a struggle for me to feel good i've got to win some kind of a fight for example and that's the identity that i wear well, if you're the kind of person where your definition of self, your existential isness, your your name tag, let's say, is all wrapped up in I can't have this happen without some drama. I like my brokenness. And that seems like a funny thing to say. I mean, who likes their brokenness? And yet, you know what I mean. How many times have you been in a conversation with someone and they say, "You know, it's a beautiful day, but oh boy, you know, I'll tell you what, there's this thing going around and that storm's going to happen and, and boy, oh boy, look at the economy and this and that and the other thing. And they can't ever enjoy the moment because the moment for them is so wrapped up in everything else. You can't fix them. And I'm not saying they're a lost cause. I'm not saying there's hope, they're hopeless. There's always hope. But grace and space in that kind of a situation means I can't fix that for you. No matter what I do, no matter how many codependent backflips I do to amuse you, I can't fix that situation for you. If that's your identity, that you're identifying with the brokenness, I can't fix things enough for you. Because if your thing is the brokenness, you are always going to see things in the terms of brokenness. You're always going to attract more brokenness to you because that's how you know who you are. So grace in space means, you know what? I love you so much that I'm going to let you do this because I have faith. That's the grace part happening again. I have faith that sooner or later, because you're awesome, you're a child of God, I know what you're made out of. Sooner or later, you're going to get sick of feeling sick. You're going to get tired of feeling tired. Sooner or later, you're going to see that there's another choice. My job is not to nag you or to guilt you or to force you. My job is to say, I'm going to do my best to show you that you don't require brokenness in order to feel fixed because God didn't make you broken. Now I can tell you that all day, but my job is to show you that, you know what? I'm enjoying some little piece of wholeness in my life. I'm not gonna beat you over the head with it. I'm just gonna sit in it. I'm going to try my best to radiate it. I'm going to try my best to show what wholeness, holiness looks like. And maybe in so doing, and maybe by loving you enough to let you figure it out, you'll surprise both of us. Maybe you'll get sick of the brokenness when I stop trying to chase your brokenness. You know what I mean? Takes two to tango. There's the person who's living in that world and there's other people who are facilitating that. What if I stop facilitating that? So grace and space can look a little bit like tough love, too. It has to do with saying, you know what? I'm going to let you have the story that you have. I'm going to let you have that for you until you're tired of it. And when you're done and you want to do it different, I'll be right here. Because I've been right here all along. That's what it looks like. And so as far as homework, take a minute and think about it. Are there ways that I can really trust somebody, even if they got their head in the sand or a more colorful way of saying that, even if they're, they're not paying attention, I'm gonna trust them enough to know that, you know what, God made them, and they got this, and I'm here for them, but I'm gonna let them do it their way. There's room for that in a grace and space kind of a relationship. Can it be okay with you that people don't do things your way? Because here's the thing, you don't know either. That's God's job, and to the degree that I let go of that, and I let people do what they will, I find a different kind of freedom and a bigger kind of love. So that, in more than a nutshell, is what grace and space looks like. And it actually leads me right into the next question. The next question is, why is story and why is myth so important? And one of the things, that's one of the things that I have talked about in the Meaning Fulfilled book. There's a whole chapter called What's Your Story about specifically that. And, you know, you've been through some of my Sunday lessons and stuff like that. I talk about story and myth all the time, and obviously I'm not alone. I mean, Jesus taught through parable all the time. And as I've said before, story is really how we communicate. The examples that I've used in the past, things like talking your way out of a traffic ticket, you tell the cop a story, right? asking somebody to marry you. You tell the story of your love. It's about story. We communicate through stories. And the reason that story and myth is so important is because there's a lot of people who just feel underwater when they look at all of the data of their lives, the facts and figures and the bills to pay and and catching up with the insurance and getting your credit score together and losing a few pounds and all of the numbers, right? We've talked about this. There are people that feel so underwater because the numbers are overwhelming. And the thing about numbers that you learned in high school is that there's always more of them. If you're the kind of person that's going to let yourself be defined by the data, by the facts and figures, you're never going to get to the place where you've, you've decided who you really are, because the numbers change, because the facts change. You are not a factual being. You exist in fact, right? but you're not a factual being. That's not your grounding. You are not a material being, that's not your grounding. You're not just molecules and atoms and carbohydrates and whatever else. There's so much more to you and you know that, right? You are defined by your story, by your myth, by the truer than true part of you. It's one of the recurring themes of the book. It's one of the recurring themes, themes of my work here. It's one of the things that I think is really, really important. The reason that story and myth is so important is, if you're not telling your story, then nobody's gonna ever know who you are. The reason that myth is so important is that myth means truer than true, right? We've talked about this. A myth doesn't mean a lie. A myth means something that is so true that it's truer than the facts of that situation. Do you love somebody? Yeah, well, what are the facts about that? Well, the fact is we both like watching reruns and we both like going to these places. Those are great facts, but that's not why you love the person. The truth of your love is bigger than the facts of your situation. Well, guess what? That's true about everything. And if you begin to see the world on those terms, mythological terms, heroic terms, big and grand, timeless terms, Something really amazing happens. Myth and story are so important because that's what we're made out of. Man, oh man, take some time with the people you love. The time that you would normally say, How was your day? and then kind of half answer while you're heating up spaghettios or whatever. First of all, you shouldn't be eating spaghettios, you're too old for that. But anyway, Take that time that's normally filled with, let's brace ourselves for the next facts and figures. What time does the show come on? Right? That kind of thing. What's your gas mileage today? I don't know. What do people talk about? Take a minute and ask about the story. Take a minute, really. And it could be that there are people that you have known for years and you've never said, you know, how did you get where you are? What was it like being a kid in that situation? What led you to that big decision, that, that the career that you have, or that, that love that you feel, or that church you go to, or whatever it is? How How'd you get there? What makes you tick, really? Because it's not a matter of data. It's not a matter of atoms changing their locations. There's something so much bigger. If you want to be a powerful person, well, get rooted in where the power is, and the power ain't in the data. The data is a byproduct, right? So let's be the kind of people that are interested in where it starts. And it starts with a story. Every time Jesus tried to teach people something, he taught with a story. Think about the stories that have changed your life. Whether they're something you saw in a movie, a story you read in the Bible, something from your family where your your grandparents or great-grandparents or somebody else did a thing that changed the course of your family and thus your life. Think about the stories that have moved you and understand that the people in those stories are no different than you. They're made out of the same stuff. They're children of God just like you. The hero of, of the stories that I like to think about said, the works I do, you shall do also. He said, our Father, right? That means it's time for you to stop being a bystander in the story of your life. Myth and story are important because that's how we live. You want to change something, change your story. If you don't get along with somebody, you can argue about the facts all day long and you will never, ever reach the end of that argument, right? But look at the story. If you can share your story, you will come to a place of peace. So what's your story? Learn how to ask for it when you sit down with somebody. It's a much better way to get through a first date. Learn how to share your story. It's a much better way to get past social anxiety. It's a much better way to have people know who you really are. Share your story and ask for the other person's story and something amazing happens because the story is truer than true, just like you. So the next question changes gears a little bit. The next question is, how can I have a meaningful job? Is Sally Strother still doing that thing on TV? Um, how can I have a meaningful job? I get where this is coming from, because oftentimes we, we, uh, we contrast the word meaning with the word material, right? And it's easy to get a materialistic job where I'm doing what I do because I have to pay the bills. My heart's not in it. I'm doing it because I gotta have a job. I do it because I gotta work. I wanna have a roof over my head and I would like to eat a sandwich now and again and and a job is how to do that, right? That's most people. But we can change that because we understand what it means to live a life of quiet desperation if we decide that our whole lives are just doing the things that we have to do in order to do more things that we have to do. That's not a recipe for happiness. And yet it is that formula that so many people use. I do the job so I can make money to buy the things that I can do the job to make money to support fixing and improving and all of that. And then I go and do another job, right? That's a lot of people. So it's a good question. That thing that I do for eight hours a day, five days a week, which is a lot, and I spend the rest of the time thinking about it, maybe dreading and all of that. How can I do that thing and experience some amount of meaning in it? How can I do that? Do I have to quit my job and go join the circus? I mean, what do I have to do? Good questions. And man, oh man, questions about job stuff comes up a lot. And you know why. I think a lot of people identify with their jobs. We've talked about this before. The idea that, that my name is so and so, and I am doctor, lawyer, plumber, whatever. It is the thing that people use to identify themselves. And yet you know and I know that that is a million miles away from the truest thing about you. But culturally, we're told to identify with the job. Can you, first of all, stop identifying with your job? How can I have a meaningful job? Decide that meaning comes first before the job. You know what I mean? Don't let your job define you. And that can be little things like decide that you're not gonna introduce yourselves by the thing that you do for a paycheck. Decide that. I'm going to say, my name is so-and-so, and I'm just happy to be here. That's a crazy thing to say, right? But it's a great thing to say. Find different ways to identify yourself in the situation, to position and locate yourself in that conversation. Decide that it doesn't have to be about your vocation. And if you decide that you're not defined by the thing that you do, you start to put the relationship in right order, right? Because here's how this works. Remember, we've talked about the idea that God is good, you're good, go do good. You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, mind, idea, expression, all of that stuff, right? Well, if I'm defining myself by the thing at the end, by the action, I'm missing the identity and I'm missing the source. So I'm always gonna be unhappy. What if I can find a way to identify with my relationship with source, with my child of Godness, my divine spark by the Christ within me? Now, you don't have to say all of that when you introduce yourself, but decide to think through it, and more importantly, decide to feel through it. What does it feel like if I spend some time working on this relationship I have with God? What does it feel like if I decide to spend some time working on who I really am? like I said, you don't have to run down this whole list of experiences when you first meet somebody, but you do have to be the kind of person who starts with an exploration of, okay, so I'm a child of God and that feels this way and that way right now. Maybe it'll feel differently as I grow and change, but here's how it feels right now. And that feeling is then going to dictate the way that I act. So for example... If you have a job that you're embarrassed about, a dead-end job, a job that maybe isn't so ethical or kind or something like that, you can get away with that job and make it okay with yourself if you just identify with the job. But if you take it back and go, wait a minute, I do what I do because God is here and I am a child of God and what I do has to come out of that relationship, if you have that trinity really firmly in mind and heart. You're not going to do things that are unethical because you know better. You're connected to something. Your actions can flow from a different place. So how can I have a meaningful job? Take a minute and work on your identity. What do you know about God right now? I'm not asking for a theological definition. Remember the guy who was born blind and he gets healed Jesus heals him, and the authorities are really mad because he was healed on the Sabbath. Remember that story? It's one of my favorite stories. I've told it to you before. But remember, the authorities at the time are trying to find a way to get Jesus in trouble. So they they grill the guy, the guy who was blind and now isn't blind. They grill him. Remember the story? This is so good. And they say, isn't Jesus a bad guy because he healed on the Sabbath and that's against our rules and all of that? Remember this? And the guy says, look, I don't know about your theology, I'm not here to discuss it. Here's what I know. I was blind and now I see. That's what we're talking about. Remember uh, uh, last month when I said, share your heart, not your theology. And that was at the nucleus of that. It's that thing. What do you know about God right now? Independent of the Nicene Creed or independent of the you know, statement of faith, independent of what you know you were supposed to remember from Sunday school or whatever. Those are all wonderful things. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying they're not core. What do you know? In other words, what do you feel? In the way that you know when you know you're in love, in the way that you know when you know you're alive, in the way that you just know something, what do you know about God? And it's okay if it's a small list. It'll grow if you give yourself to it. But right now, what do you know about God? This might be a good time to get out pen and paper and just start writing some stuff down. It can be silly stuff. It can be stuff that a child would write. I know that God is everywhere. I know that God loves me. I know that God is big. You know, whatever it is, doesn't matter. But start there. What do I know about God? And look at that list. Spend some time with it. And then make a new list or maybe a new column on that same piece of paper that says, based on that, what do I know about me? Again, might be a small list, but it's going to be an important list. Because if God is X, Y, and Z, let's say God is good, like we say, and God made you, it does not follow logically or experientially or in a feeling way. It doesn't follow that you'd be bad. If God is good, well, you know a tree by its fruits, right? What does that say about you? So column one or page one or whatever, what do I know about God? Part two, what do I know about me? And here's the rub. This goes back to the question, which is how can I have a meaningful job? What should I do as a result? Now, you know that there may well be this secret calling, the thing that you wish you did for a living. You know, like I said, quitting it all and joining the circus, writing the great American novel, going back to the stage. I don't know, whatever it is. It might be that you already know there's this thing that I wish I could do. And there might be ways to explore that that you haven't thought of yet. Because I'm not saying that you immediately have to just set fire to everything in your old life and just hang it all up. It's okay if there are baby steps. I'm saying know who God is, know who you are, and do something about that knowledge. Because the thing I know is that you'll get so greedy for that connection that that little something will take up more and more time during your day. And to the degree that you give yourself to it, before you know it, it's going to be a 24-7 situation. But for right now, baby steps are okay. You don't have to quit your job. But it's very possible, in fact, almost certain, that there are things you can do at the job you're at right now that feel more in line with your relationship with spirit. Are you putting up with water cooler talk that just isn't appropriate? If you really are in line with who you are, you know that there's another way to do that. On the other hand, maybe you're supposed to take some chances and ask for the promotion and really write that report and do the thing in a way that's gonna be really impressive. But I'm scared. Okay, well, is God scared? Who's God? Who are you? Yeah, and that could lead to some career changes up or down the ladder, but at least you'll know, and you're gonna be a lot closer to happiness if you follow that line. So what can you do right now that is in line with, here's God, here's me, here's what I should do as a result? There's something, and like I said, even if it's a small thing, give yourself to it and it will begin to change for you. There are so many stories about changes in careers and new inventions and new innovation and revolution that start right there. So the next question is, is it okay to celebrate when there are also bad things happening? (laughs) I love that because, you know, everybody's looking at COVID or people are looking at the hurricane watch or they're looking at, there's things going on in the world. Is it okay to be happy when there's all these bad things? I mean, can I enjoy my ice cream when I know that there are starving people somewhere else in the world? Can I be happy that I'm in love when I know that someone else is heartbroken? Here's the thing that I want you to know. Your celebration can change everything. Are we supposed to pretend like there's nothing good in the world? Is that ever going to make anything good happen? Here's the thing, I'll answer this one more quickly. Remember, as I've said before, everything is practice. If you practice happiness, you will get more happiness. If you practice misery, you will get more misery. And that's a big deal because I don't know where you've been, but a lot of people have been trained that if you can make yourself miserable and set your dreams aside and pay your dues or whatever for long enough, if you can be unhappy for long enough, someday you'll get good at happiness. And that's a lot like training for a marathon by climbing a mountain. It's different things. Mountain climbing makes you good at mountain climbing, you know? Happiness makes you good at happiness. Misery makes you good at misery. So, yes, there are things that we need to fix in the world. Let's come together and find ways to heal. Let's find out how to... Give everybody an opportunity. Let's find a way to feed the hungry people. Let's find a way to show love in bigger and better ways. It's what we're here to do, right? We're supposed to love our neighbors and we're told that neighbors means everybody. We're not gonna leave anybody out, but the thing that we need to know is that that celebration, that gratitude for something good is how we experience, how we create, how we manifest more. So are you allowed to be happy? Yeah, you better. If you're ever gonna fix anything, learn how to celebrate. And in particular, learn how to celebrate with Thanksgiving. You have to, I'm counting on you. That's how all of this works. And so the last question that I wanna talk about today is the question, what's next for the church? And that's one of the reasons why I wanted it to just be you and me today, because a lot of people wanna know, okay, what's on your mind for what's gonna happen next for the church. And the thing is, because of the COVID situation and all of that, um, we don't know 100%. There's a lot of stuff that's really up in the air, but this is gonna sound a little crazy, but I really am grateful for all of this. I mean, I'm looking forward to it ending because I want things to get back to normal. And there's a lot of fear that I think is unnecessary. I'd like us to get to the other side of that and all that. but. In a very real way, I'm really grateful that we're having to look at this whole thing in a different way. If you were there with us at the beginning, you remember that the idea of Water and Stone Church was, you know what, we're going to question everything. We're going to challenge all the assumptions we can think to challenge. We're going to figure this out in a whole different way because we really believe that the 21st century culture is so different in so many ways and... We also believe that the way that Jesus did church doesn't look anything like the way that people did church in 1952, right? It wasn't just Sunday morning. It wasn't just that that traditional situation, right? So we really took that to heart. And along the way, I think that we did innovate in some amazing ways. I love that we're doing Ask the Pastor. I love that we have that thing that people can text in. I love how much service projects we did. I love the idea that We were missional and not attractional. Remember what that means? It means that we weren't just waiting for people to come in our door. We were going out into the world. And I love that. All of these things were really, really powerful things. I love the fact that I got to do the Sunday service wearing jeans. You know, obviously I wasn't the only one, but those kinds of things were really important. I liked it that we used modern music. I liked it that we did a lot of things differently. But along the way, it's also really easy to kind of get into a groove. And as much as there was innovative stuff, it's fair to say, and I I want to be honest about this, it's fair to say that there were some things about what we were doing on Sunday that felt like a lot of other churches. Not that that's bad, but it's not necessarily innovative or new either. It's so easy to get into a comfort zone and man, oh man, spend 10 minutes with me and I'm gonna tell you to get out of your comfort zone. And so this COVID thing is one of the ways that we've had to get out of our comfort zone and ask some questions. And here's the thing that has come up for me and this is real time, you know. If you think about the numbers, the number of people who were coming on a Sunday morning when we were doing every Sunday, the number of people on our very first Sunday is roughly the same as the number of people who were coming after like three years of doing church. Hmm, that's nobody's fault. And it's not even a bad thing because the people who were there, man, that's our family and we love that. And I am so grateful for each and every person that was there in the room, each and every person that did so many wonderful things to help set up church and tear down and be there and everything. I love every minute of it and I'm so grateful for you. Remember with me, too, that it's never about the numbers any more than it's about the money, any more than it's about social uh, approval or whatever. It's never about that, but all of those things are a byproduct. You're supposed to do what you love, no matter what the money is, no matter what the numbers are, no matter what the approval is. However, the numbers are an important way to gauge what you're doing. You don't do it for the numbers. In other words, I don't do church to get more butts in seats, although some people do church that way. That's never been my style, and you know that. But I have to pay attention to the fact that if the numbers don't change, maybe I need to question that, because maybe it's the case that what we're doing isn't reaching people. Maybe it's the case that what we're doing isn't something that people feel comfortable with telling their friends about. And you know what? That's okay. But it does mean we need to ask the question. And here's what I'm promising you. We will continue to ask the question. The COVID scenario has caused me and Jenny and Raina and Miles and everybody involved with the church has caused all of us to go, wait a minute, we didn't ask deep enough questions. We really were sort of in a comfort zone groove and that's not okay. So what's next for the church? Well, we got a new series of lessons coming up and all of that and that's great and I'm looking forward to it. When the time comes when we can meet in person, are we going to? Well, we will have some kind of a meeting. It probably won't even be on Sunday mornings anymore. It might not be weekly anymore. It might not be a lot of things anymore. But here's what it is going to be. It's going to be fun. Here's what is going to happen. We're going to learn something together. Here's what is going to happen. We're going to find a way to take this to the next level. I don't know what to call it yet. But that's good, because we're going to get out of the way of what was and start to really challenge ourselves to figure out what this needs to be. It goes back to that thing I was telling you about when we talked about the job. We're going to stop thinking about the doing and start thinking about our relationship with spirit, what that means for us, and then what comes out of that is going to be awesome. But I can promise you this, (laughs) I don't know how to shut up. So there's going to be something, and I think it's going to be something that you're going to enjoy. But in the meantime, thank you for being here. Thank you for these questions. And thank you, thank you, thank you for your love and support. Let's take our opportunity to give. You can support this church and we are counting on you to support this church by going to donate.waterandstonechurch.com. Let's say our offertory blessing together. God is my source my unending supply. With this gift, I carry my gratitude into action. God's blessings flow through me and fill my world. I give and I live with radical joy. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for being here with me today. This is kind of a special uh, conversation. And so I'm grateful that you've, you've been here. And I want you to remember, as, as always, you don't do any of this alone because we pray together as a family. Let's share our dedication prayer. God, I'm ready for change. My heart is open. I'm not afraid anymore. My life is in peace and on purpose. And so it is, amen. I wanna thank you for sharing and liking and subscribing and all of that. Thank you for spreading the word. Now go out there and show the world what love looks like today.